Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. And just like that, finally, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Thursday morning, June 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2021. You know, you look around after spring practice and you think, oh, we got this many days until the season starts. But when you don't have an off season, then all of a sudden you look up and it's June and you're less than 100 days out and you got content coming at you every day. Well, just about every day, unless we have a holiday weekend, in which case I drop the ball and forget to tell you guys about it. But hey, my point is, we're making it. We're getting closer. So about that whole no podcast on Tuesday, yeah, I was on vacation. I was back home, and I thought for all the world that I had told you last week we will not have a Tuesday pod. However, we did have a Late Kick Live Tuesday night. But yeah, that's on me. There was a little bit of a mix-up. A bunch of you were asking, what's wrong with Apple? What's wrong with Spotify? A lot of times it is on them, but it wasn't this time. It was on me. So we are back. So here we are Thursday, and for the foreseeable future, we'll be back on a normal rotation We're so busy around here in a good way. We have got a lot of stuff in the planning and building phases right now. So I just, I tell you what I can, when I can. Our numbers have been really good. I can tell you that. So I appreciate it. The reason I always try and hammer that home is because when we're able to do new stuff, it's because people look at the traction, the podcast and the shows get and say, people want that. They must want that. So we, as a company, we need to give them more of that. If you guys weren't here, we couldn't do it. So Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's dive in this morning. I'll get to any other odds and ends as we move forward. This is wall-to-wall mailbag. It's Q&A. You can submit questions, joshpate706 at gmail.com or on Instagram or Twitter at LateKickJosh. Matt is kicking us off this morning. He says, I'd like to hear your thoughts about the big noon kickoff. That's on Fox. Personally, I think it's awful, as do most fans I talk to. As a Badger fan, when I'm thinking week one against Penn State and week four against Notre Dame could be night games, prime time under the lights, and instead I find out they're at 11 a.m. local time, it's pretty deflating. I understand the ratings aspect and getting as many eyeballs as possible on those games so they're not competing with the primetime ABC game, but I still hate it. What do you say? Matt, my feeling on this is different than you. I used to feel the way you feel because I used to either be watching these games at home or I used to just be a fan going to the game. I always wanted the primetime spot. I always wanted that primetime under-the-lights feel. It's incredible. I mean, college atmospheres are incredible anyway. Those of you who go to games a lot, think back wherever you are right now. You may be listening at work. Maybe you're driving down the road somewhere. What was the first primetime game you ever remember witnessing in person? Now, if you're a Penn State fan or a Texas fan or an Alabama fan, you've been in those big stadiums. But even some of the smaller venues, you could be at a Mac game on a Tuesday night. If it's the right environment, it's the right matchup, it can be pretty memorable. And I get all that. I mean, I've been there, so I understand all that. Here's what happened to me, Matt. I started covering games. Now, I don't look for sympathy here one bit, but I just want to lay out what the day-to-day is like. So picture this. I'm at the biggest games in the country most of the time. And I want to be there early. So normally you're getting up early. Your day is starting early. I like to get to the venue well ahead of time. Let's say we got a 7 p.m. kickoff. Well, I like to get to the venue early. I basically make the stadium my office for the day. So I can watch all the games during the day. And then I can be there. I don't have to worry about traffic or anything. 
but your game's not happening until 7 p.m., obviously. So let's say conservatively that thing's wrapping up 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Well, then you have media obligation afterwards. I'm not out of there on average until about two to two and a half hours after the game ends. And then you've got to drive home. In some cases, it's a flight the next day. But in a lot of cases in the South where I grew up, if I'm in Columbus, Georgia at the time, and I'm going to Georgia, well, that's three hours away. Tuscaloosa, three and a half hours away. Baton Rouge, we'd drive that. That's six hours away. Gainesville, four hours away. Columbia, South Carolina, Knoxville. These were all drives. Long ones, but they were drives. Well, here's what was happening, Matt. There were a lot of cases where I was not pulling in on Sunday morning until the sun was coming up. And that is fun on the front end, but it's miserable on the back end. So what I learned is I learned to appreciate the 3.30 kickoff, the CBS 3.30 kickoff, but I really learned to appreciate those early kickoffs, especially when it gets later in the year where weather and heat is not a factor. Now, I don't expect you to feel that way. I wouldn't feel that way if I were a fan. So this is a very selfish answer, but you did ask me my opinion, Matt. I just view college football, and there's been a paradigm shift in college football from a TV perspective. It used to be that the primetime game was the exception to the rule. If there was one of them, maybe two of them. Everyone gets primetime games now. And so I think what used to be a very novelty-based aspect, uh, it's kind of had the new worn off of it for me. So primetime games aren't as big a deal to me anymore, but I know from an atmosphere standpoint, you can't duplicate that. You cannot make Notre Dame-Wisconsin 8 p.m. the same as Notre Dame-Wisconsin 11 a.m. You can't do it. I know that. Uh, but it is what it is. I will probably be at at least one of the games that you listed there. So here's the plus side for me, Matt. If that Wisconsin-Notre Dame game is an 11 a.m. local time kickoff, I could be back in Nashville by the end of the day. So we'll get through this together, Matt. Hashtag, we're all in this together. Uh, Chi-Town Gump is up next. Speaking of Chicago, he says, what is your dream scenario in college football? You can combine any two teams ever from any year or era, any stadium with whoever or whomstever you want calling the game whatever weather you want, wow, I didn't see that till just now, etc., etc., also including any other variables you can think of. Oh, boy. All right, well, who has the good answer out there? What do you think? I mean, he's telling me. Chi-Town Gump's telling us we can go anywhere. So I don't know what you're thinking right now. I didn't even go down the cross-era path, but let me do that right quick. So I'm going to give you several answers because I can. I would love to take that 01 Miami team, you know, the famous one that sent like 4,700 guys to the draft. I'd love to take that that 01 Miami squad, and I'd love to drop them in 2019 against LSU, 2020 against Alabama. I got feelings on this. I think those 19 and 20 LSU and Bama squads would go up and down the field on Miami. It wouldn't have anything to do with how talented Miami was. But if I'm plucking a team out of that era, which is only 20 years ago, but football's changed a lot, I'm a believer that even the best of the best would get run over in today's game because schematically they would be so ill-equipped to deal with what they would have thrown at them. Also, think about what the personnel would be from Miami. The personnel would be built to stop a lot of I-formation two-back. And then all of a sudden, you got tight ends flexing out in four or five wide, and you got so much different versatility in today's offensive game as opposed to back then. I think it would be eye-opening to watch what would happen to the best of the best. I mean, that Miami roster was incredible. I think they'd get carved up by today's offenses at the highest level, the LSUs, the Alabamas in 19 and 20, I think they get carved up. And you know what? I just thought of another one. I'm going to use these same two teams in the same year, 2011. While I'm at it, since you're giving me permission, I don't care about the weather or the venue. We can play it in Stillwater for all I care. I want to see that 2011 Alabama team and the 2011 LSU team both play Oklahoma State. 
Well, some of you out there made fools of yourselves in 2011 talking about how, well, those were neck and neck. Those were three comparable teams. They weren't. They really weren't. And this is all due respect to Oklahoma State. No, they weren't. I also looked at the rest of the year and noticed how those two teams body bagged everyone else but each other. And you also notice for everyone who wanted to hate on that 9-6 to six game as if to say, oh, these offenses suck. These offenses are terrible. You notice what those offenses did against everyone else they play? It is crazy what elite defenses will do when they're on the field. Um, if Oklahoma State would have been undefeated that year, they would have played for a national championship. That team lost to Iowa State with everything on the line. They would have gotten handled by either Alabama or LSU, but because it didn't happen, that argument got to linger. It's kind of like when 2017 UCF, you know what, let's create another one. 2017, who won the title? Bama. I've used Bama three times. This sounds terrible. Okay, well, it just so happens in 2017, Bama won the national title. UCF played that undefeated season and played that game against Auburn, and they hung their championship banner, put UCF on the field against Alabama with a title on the line. With a title on the line. Or how about this? I'd also love to see this. Take the Central Florida team, march them into Jordan-Hare Stadium, because I was at that Auburn-Georgia game that year. I was at that Auburn-Alabama game that year when something consequential to that Auburn team is on the line, in other words. I'd love to march UCF into those environments against the same Auburn team they beat, and let's see how they fare. I know a lot of times the G5 crowd scoffs at the excuse-making, and that is what it is, excuse-making, when someone from a Power 5 level, faces you in a bowl game, and they say, well, we're not very motivated. I know how that makes you feel. I understand totally. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I had someone who I'm obviously not going to name from Auburn tell me before that Peach Bowl where you guys beat Auburn, I had someone tell me beforehand, we're not really dialed in for this. We don't even view it as one of the six biggest games we've played all year. Is, is that UCF's fault? Of course not. They did exactly what they should have done. But these G5, P5 bowl game matchups, I've never viewed that as a definitive statement on anything. What I would love to see is that 20, let's say the 2020 Cincinnati team. Since I'm getting to choose wherever I put them, have them go into Clemson second to last week of the year. Have them go into Columbus, Ohio, second to last week of the year, something like that. I don't know why I'm picking second to last week of the year like that special, but not a bowl game and not some consolation prize. I want them in a meaningful game where there is equal motivation level because when there's equal motivation level, I think some people would be surprised at how different the outcome is in some matchups that they've seen go the other way. Let me reiterate before I move on. Yes, that is absolutely excuse making on the part of the P5 teams, and me, I guess, speaking for them. It's absolutely excuse-making to tell you they're not motivated and therefore that's why they perform at the level they are. Yes, it does take credit away from you. I understand all these things. I'm just telling you what the deal is. I'm just giving you reality. You can do with it whatever you want to. But I am telling you, you know, as it was the case in that Peach Bowl, Auburn didn't really care about being there all that much. I would love to see the regular season matchup happen because then I wouldn't have to worry about does this team want to be there? Is this team motivated? Don't have to worry about all that. And I, of course, know where that goes next, which is we'll tell them to schedule us. And then I'll say, okay, take a two-for-one deal. And then you'll say, no, we want a home-and-home like the big boys. And then you're going to get a pie stuffed in your face. And on and on it goes, just like the podcast. Because next up, we have Christian. He says, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the tweet that John Rothstein put out the other day, but as it pertains to college football. Do you think what he tweeted could ever happen in college football? So I'm going to click this Rothstein tweet right here. So John Rothstein covers college hoops, and here's what he tweeted. Sources indicate multiple mid-major programs are opting not to play guaranteed games against high-major programs because it gives power conference teams free live evaluation 
of future players who could move up via the transfer portal. The level of separation has never been greater. Uh, if that didn't make sense to you, here's what's happening. In college basketball, a lot of the mid-major teams, which previously would have had games scheduled against the big boys, they're looking at the transfer portal and they're saying, wait a second, we're not going to play you. That's essentially bringing our entire team into your gym and then we play you and you get a chance to evaluate our roster knowing full well in the future you may have a spot for our guys on your roster. We're not going to give you a free in-person evaluation of our players just so you can take them later on. Well, Christian's asking, could that happen in college football? I don't think so, Christian. Uh, the dynamic is totally different. In football, even if G5 programs, let's say, or FCS programs to a lesser degree thought that way, they would still be totally dependent on those paycheck games. So even if you coach at East Carolina, and let's say you've got a game scheduled against Virginia Tech, and you feel that way, you're headed to Blacksburg to play that game because they're paying you five hundred grand, seven hundred fifty grand, million and a half. They're paying you big money to play those games, and you're factoring that into your budget, and you need that. That's the difference in you being able to afford resources that otherwise you couldn't afford. So what do you do? Even if you did feel like this, in college basketball, that's not the way the budgets work nearly as much as college football because the payout for those games, it's not the way it works in college basketball. In college football, we all understand you know, if Tulsa goes to play Oklahoma, Tulsa's getting paid big money to go play Oklahoma. If Alabama State heads to Auburn, they're getting big money to do that. Well, in college basketball, it's not the same way. In college football, even if Alabama State did feel that way, what, what recourse do they have? Cancel the game and don't get a million and a quarter to go to Jordan-Hare Stadium and instead say, nope, we got to lay off 20% of our staff and we got to scrap this facility project because we didn't get the money that we thought we were going to get. It is what it is. You got to grin and bear it. And, you know, a lot of these G5 programs have a goal in mind that we're actually going to talk about in question form later in the podcast to ultimately get to that P5 level. Well, how do you think you do that? Well, you keep building your infrastructure and you keep boosting up your own resources, but also you go toe to toe and you prove that you belong and you make yourself matter. You involve yourself in the conversation. We were just talking about UCF, that 2017 team. It may have sounded like I was a little bit harsh. I thought it was brilliant on UCF's part. See, UCF didn't care all that much about actually winning a title. I know the fans did. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about administrators. Danny White at the time was the AD down there. He's at Tennessee now. Danny White didn't want to go play anyone in a title game. Are you kidding me? It was about marketing. It was about getting the name of UCF football out there and UCF athletics. You know how much money they made off that little campaign, off that troll job that they essentially did of hanging a banner and getting all y'all bent out of shape? People really got disproportionately bent out of shape by a G5 team in Central Florida claiming a national championship like it really impacted anything. Well, it impacted their bottom line. You ever taken a look? I did this on a show previously. The fundraising effort and how it kicked into a totally different gear, totally different stratosphere before that versus after that. That was brilliant. Well, that's what G5 programs are looking to do. You think Central Florida is looking to wave that G5 flag forever? Heck no. Again, we're going to talk about this later. They want to be a P5. They want to absolutely, they want to be like Andy Bernard. He gets accepted into the inner circle in the office, and all of a sudden, he's no longer for the little guy. He's headed right into that office. He closes the blinds. He's in the inner circle now. UCF wants to be in the inner circle, and you can't do it by hiding like they apparently are in college basketball. Let's roll on here. Rach09, frequent contributor to the show, says, As you were doing the schedule draft, I was curious, have you ever been to the Army-Navy game? If so, how would you rank it compared to other rivalry atmospheres you've experienced? And is there another rivalry game where you just have to be there to understand it? Rach, I'm not qualified to answer the last part. I've never been to Michigan-Ohio State. 
So I don't know how I can complete that sentence or that thought if I haven't been to arguably one of, if not the biggest rivalries, not only in college football, but in all of sports. Hope to change that this year. We'll see. And that's largely up to Michigan because I got to got to be where the biggest game is, and I can't have one team be completely irrelevant on the national scene and justify it that late in the year. I think the Buckeyes are going to be there. Hope the Wolverines will be there. But as for the Army-Navy game, I've never been there before. I want to change that this year, too. It's a standalone game. It's after conference championship week, so it's feasible to be there. I've just never been able to go because I've never been able, previous to this year, to be able to justify it from my professional perspective. I was previously down in Georgia, largely covered the SEC, never was able to get up to either, what is it, Philadelphia or Annapolis, I think, where they play the game on a rotational basis. So I'm looking to change that this year. Um, Really hope I can, because I love that. As a TV product, CBS has that game. As a TV product, I think it's phenomenally presented. I love everything about it. I didn't get it growing up. As a kid, um, this is going to sound disrespectful. It's not disrespectful at all. I just I did not grow up understanding the magnitude of Army Navy. I didn't get why it was a big deal. I got why the Iron Bowl is a big deal or Georgia, Florida or USC, Notre Dame. I got all that. I didn't get why Army Navy was a big deal because I only thought about it within the context of the big college football picture. I didn't get how much bigger it was. So I get it now. Trust me. And I really do want to be a part of that this year. Ethan has one of the best submissions that we've ever heard. So I'm going to take just a second. Let's take our quick break, and then we're going to come back, and Ethan is just throwing a heater, 98 right under the chin. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. And here comes Ethan. His question. My name is Ethan. I'm 11 years old. My three favorite things are trains, weather, and LSU football. So I'm your biggest fan. Would you ever consider doing a different podcast where you talk about storm chasing and your train hopping adventures? Or maybe do that more on Late Kick. Those are my favorite. Go Tigers. Again, Ethan. We need to hang out more, Ethan. You got to clear it with your parents, but we got to hang out more. So Ethan just runs down the list here. His three favorite things are trains, weather, and LSU football. It might as well be me growing up. That might as well be me. You can insert whatever football team you want. But trains and weather, you don't even know. Nothing's changed. I'm twice his age, three times his age. Nothing's changed with me there. So me and Ethan are a lot alike. Now, I've explained to you why I love weather and why I love storm chasing. It may, it may confuse people. Why a full-grown man would be fascinated with trains? Well, number one... Train hopping, uh, which I don't advise, uh, but it is a fun activity if you assume the risk. It's a it's a fun activity, but also it's a metaphor. Have you guys ever thought about this? I'm I'm. It's gonna sound like I'm joking, but I'm not. I do think this way. This is how my sick mind works sometimes. Well, you can decide if it's sick or not. So picture yourself at a railroad crossing somewhere 
out there, it's a good song by Linda Ronstadt, somewhere out there right now, someone is at a railroad crossing watching a manifest freight train come through. Manifest just means there's a whole lot of everything on it. So think about this, though. Watching a freight train go by is the exact same as sitting in a food court at a mall. For those of you who still go to malls, that freight train, you have no clue where it came from. You have no clue where it's going. You don't even know what's in each individual car. And that's the only time to a 99.9% certainty that you'll ever see that train and those cars again. And it's the exact same as sitting around a bunch of people. Go to a park if you don't want to go to the mall and just watch people go by. You don't know their story. You don't know where they came from. You have no clue where they're going. You don't know what's inside their head. You don't know anything about them. Chances are you will never encounter that person or these people again. And that's always fascinated me. It's really metaphorical to life. It's always fascinated me. So, hey, what's the only thing you can do to change it? Well, you can either walk up, introduce yourself to the person and start talking, or in my case, hop in the boxcar and go for a ride. But Ethan, I talk about it on the podcast sometimes, but you got to strike a healthy balance, buddy, and I'll tell you why. There are a lot of people in my business that really overestimate how much people care about what they think about everything. You've noticed this. A lot of you have noticed this. It happens politically a whole lot. Someone gets a little notoriety about themselves because they talk about college football, and then all of a sudden they assume because they have a bigger following on Twitter than they did five years ago, well, maybe these people care about you know my taste in music or food or politics. I'm going to start talking about that. No one cares. I understand that. I understand most of you don't care about what I think about those things. Some of you may, but m- most of you are here to listen to me talk about college football. Um, I'm smart enough to realize that, at the very least smart enough to realize that. So I don't mix that in a whole lot. There's a little flavor here. Uh, There's a connection. I mean, I know you guys, I think, on a lot deeper level than the average host knows his audience. I can assure you of that because I communicate with you guys every day. But even so, if you guys wanted to be listening to me talk about food or talk about politics, there are a million places you can go for that. What I know is we got a unique combination of the way we cover college football here, and I'm talking to you as well, Ethan, and that's why it's a majority college football with maybe a little extra mixed in this time of year because we can be looser with it. But this will always be a vast majority college football with just a little seasoning of your occasional train hopping story or storm chasing story tossed in. Oh, and I love Fleetwood Mac. Next up, Jay Cincinnati Red says, do you feel the G5 would be better served to break away from the Power Five? I love all college football. I think it would be exciting to see two playoffs every year. I kind of addressed this already, so I won't go back down the rabbit hole. There's a difference here in what would be best for the G5 versus what you and I would like to see, Jay. Because I agree with you. I'd love to see two playoff products as well. But it wouldn't be good for the G5 because of what we talked about. The financial sustainability would not be there if there was a breakaway. It's necessary for there to be a connection right now and in the foreseeable future. I don't know what would change that. So I would love to see it selfishly if we were just talking about a pure football product, but from a financial viability standpoint, mm, don't think they can pull that off. G Money Torres up next. He says, I'm a diehard Miami hurricane, and I always hear people asking, what will it take for Miami to be back? Well, what do you think the answer to that is? And do you believe in Manny Diaz and his staff? Let me answer the second part first. I don't know. I think I do. I think I believe in Manny and his staff. It's that trust but confirm thing that I've been talking about a lot this past few months. I trust the way I feel about a certain staff, in this case, Manny Diaz and his staff, but I want to confirm it. You know, because you've been burned before. You all know this. You all have probably had 
a team outside your own. So forget about your own staff and your own team. Think about that other team that recently you really bought into and you got burned. And you were talking about them at work and you were talking about them at church with your buddies or on the softball field and they just didn't come through for you and it makes you look stupid. And so then you're hesitant with future opinions. Don't be, by the way, but you're hesitant with it. And so you, you learn to trust but verify. And I'm in the trust but verify mode with Manny Diaz and his staff right now. I really thought it was admirable that he realized he needed to cut bait one year in with some of the hires he made, some of the staffing decisions he made. I thought it was admirable that he took decisive action. He went into the transfer portal to get guys like Derek King. Had to do it. Had to do it. FSU's doing that right now. I know you guys in Miami don't want to hear about the Seminoles, but they're doing it right now there too. So there are some things to like. There are some signs pointing in the right direction. Now, as for the Miami being back, I get so tired of this. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day about this. There are two things that happen anytime Miami does anything of note. You know this better than anyone. If you're a Miami fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You guys who lived through the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, you know that, I mean, that's something you wish you could bottle up and drink it every single day, but you can't. That's not reality. But you know that there is an entire media apparatus that surrounds Miami, and they get it. But then there's the national media apparatus that only does that drive-by mentality. And they kind of drive by, they roll the window down every now and then. They take a peek, let's see what Miami's doing. Okay, move on. And so all they ever want to talk about is two things. Number one, is Miami back? And number two, and this is the really bad one, when you get 63-year-old white sports writers saying, does Miami have the swagger back? Is the swagger back for Miami? Sir, spell swagger and then define it for me. What does swagger mean to you, sir? Ma'am, what does swagger mean to you? So look, here's what it really comes down to. At the end of the day, when people are talking about whether the swagger is back, whether the U is back, a lot of times they'll follow that up with indicating they believe there's a unique way to win at Miami. There's not a unique way to win at Miami. There is a way that Miami's done it in the past that was unique to Miami. Don't get me wrong. Anyone who's watched the documentaries or lived through it, oh, there's something really unique about the history of Miami. Something totally unique about the way right through Howard Schnellenberger and Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson and all those cats. Hey, Larry Coker, up for College Football Hall of Fame induction, by the way. You guys voting for him? I got my eye on you. But anyway, so there's a lot about the history of Miami that's unique. But what I don't buy into is there's this formula that's unique to Miami, that works at Miami, that wouldn't work anywhere else. What if I told you the formula that works elsewhere would also work at Miami? What they do at Ohio State or Clemson would absolutely work at Miami. What do they do? Well, they get a dynamite staff in there. They take football more seriously than the rest of the country. Now, in Miami's case, you would want to lock down the talent in your backyard, which I would argue, if anything, is an advantage for you. Clemson's got to come to Florida to get guys. You wake up every day in Florida. That's all you have to do. I say it like it's easy. In theory, it's easy. Get a staff and an administration that's on the same page. They take football seriously. There's a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-over-year commitment to continually upgrading facilities and enhancing everything about the branding and the overall physical product, the physical infrastructure, facilities, and all that stadium. But ultimately, all that's window dressing. It comes down to players. you got to keep the players home. You keep the players home with the right staff in place, you'll win more. You win more than that ends up feeding itself because more guys want to come there. And then all of a sudden, Miami will be back. Miami's back when the formula that got Miami where they were previously is implemented. But what I'm saying is it's not unique to Miami. 
The formula to win is not unique to any place. The formula to win applies in Los Angeles, California, in Miami, Florida, and Ann Arbor, Michigan, all the same. All right, we roll on again. Here's one that was anonymous. Oh, boy. I can see why it's anonymous. Here's the question, or statement, I guess. Give us the devil's advocate view on why playoff expansion would be good for college football, and then do whatever you want to with it. Do whatever I want, huh? Okay. Well, the devil's advocate argument is it keeps more teams involved later in the year. Stupid. And then it also gives you more good football on the back end. Dumb. And then also it doesn't sacrifice the integrity or value of the regular season because you got to have auto bids to where every conference championship matters. I never was told that they don't matter. And then everyone's happy, all's well that ends well. Well, I just made the argument. Hold on. Let me reach over here and grab the argument so I can do whatever I want to with it. Okay. And that's that. Thank you, Anonymous. I know it sounds like I didn't go in depth there, but it's only because if you're a regular listener, I've gone in depth on this way too many times. And I realized it was becoming a popular talking point in what everyone else would refer to as the off season. So I don't want to do it. That fruit hangs so low to the ground, it has bruise marks from touching the ground. I don't want to be that guy. We'll wrap it up here. I thought this was pretty good. I just deleted the name. So if this is your question, um, thank you. I do not know whose question this was, though. It was... Which G5 teams, which three do you think would benefit the most from going to the Power 5 level, and then what conferences would you want to add them into? So one is obvious, Central Florida. I've felt this way for a long time. I think they'd be a good fit for the SEC or the ACC. So let's just say ACC for argument's sake. Houston, I think, is another prime candidate. Some would say Memphis, but I would go Houston even over Memphis, and I would say Houston is a candidate for the Big 12 or the SEC. But the third one's a little off the beaten path. They're hot right now, so maybe not so much. Maybe this makes sense to you. But Louisiana, some would call them UL Lafayette. They just want to be called University of Louisiana. How about putting them in the Big 12? The Big 12 would then have the only other Power 5 team in the state of Louisiana. And what I'm thinking here is I want to open up that talent pipeline. I mean, Louisiana's a gold mine for talent. And all the SEC teams try and get in there, but very few non-SEC teams ever even make an attempt to get into Louisiana. Well, if you had a Big 12 team in Louisiana, then maybe that opens up that pipeline. It doesn't have to flow, even if it just drips. Even if Oklahoma picks up the occasional kid out of Thibodeau, or even if Texas, or even Texas Tech, or someone like that, even if they occasionally get into New Orleans and take a three-star, four-star safety, can make an overall difference in the quality of football being played in the conference. So give me Central Florida, give me Houston, and give me UL Lafayette. Memphis is going to be a popular answer there. Cincinnati, obviously popular. I think a team on the East Coast, like East Carolina, I mean, you can't go wrong there. The only one I wonder about, to be honest with you, as other people bring them up, is Boise. And it's not because of the football. It's because, you know, good and well, when this conversation happens, it's all about TV markets and stuff like that, stuff I really don't like spending a whole lot of time talking about. But you have to talk about it here. I just don't know what Boise adds. I think the product would be appealing to fans, but to an, a TV executive or a conference commissioner looking to bolster their portfolio, I don't know what Boise adds. I think the counter to that would be the best thing for your portfolio from a television perspective is having good product on the field. And Boise would give you good product. But then you go back to that whole TV market thing and you get a lot of people in the room talking about things they don't know a whole lot about myself included. So I'm going to stop there. Thank you so much for the mailbag this morning. Remember to follow me on Instagram and Twitter. We are growing those accounts rapidly. And trust me, there's a very big purpose behind it. It will make itself clear this fall. 
at late kick Josh. Also, joshpate706 at gmail.com if you want to reach out with a question. I've got to send this off to Producer Jordan for editing. So for Producer Jordan, the aforementioned Producer Jordan, I am Josh Pate. Thanks for listening. Have yourselves a great rest of your day, and God bless. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.